Hello everybody, this is Philippa Kelly, resident dramaturg for the California Shakespeare Theatre and production dramaturg for this world premiere, Lear, written by Marcus Gardley as a contemporary adaptation of Shakespeare's play and co-directed by Eric Ting and Dawn Monique Williams. As an entree to our a discussion of our production, I want to spend just a minute in encompassing Shakespeare's original play. Shakespeare's King Lear, written in 1605, is all about what philosopher Karen Armstrong has called in another context, dethroning the self from the centre of the universe. In respect of King Lear, what I mean by this is that every human being is a king until we're told that we're not, and every king is no more than a beggar in waiting. We are all, in some sense, encased in our own worlds. We are egos in search of power and purpose, and we all want love. Yet to seek love, or to give your love, is one of the most vulnerable things that any of us will ever do. To seek love and have it not returned is so painful and in many cases bewildering. Why does this person not want the most precious thing I have to give, myself, my affection, my uniqueness, my loyalty? By the time that most of us get to a certain stage of life, and this is usually pretty young, we've experienced rejection of our love. Yet Leah is over 80 years old before he comes to the awareness that love is not received as he wishes it to be received and that love is not given in the way he has thought he could command it to be given. The first scene of the play begins with incredible misunderstandings, quickly lifting off into rage, bewilderment, unbearable hurt and banishment. In the first scene, there is so much misunderstanding. Leah wants to exchange property for love. His two older daughters, Goneril and Regan, want to exchange love for property. And Cordelia, the youngest daughter, sees these two, that is, property and love, as incommensurable commodities of exchange. Leah tries to get through this horrendous experience in the first scene of the play by banishing those whom he sees as rejecting him. Well, would that most of us could do this, everybody, get rid of anyone who doesn't reflect the way we want to be seen in the world or to see ourselves. But things soon become a lot worse for Leah. He goes out of the frying pan and into the fire. As he comes, once he's given away his power and authority to see that the love he's bought from his two older daughters is not love at all. He called it love because he wanted to see it as love. They called it love because he, as their king, required it of him. But it's not love, it's transactional. And the magnificence of this play the majesty, if you like, is not that Lear is king, but that Lear, despite his age, his history of supremacy, his folly, can come to a new understanding, to an insight, an appreciation 
of truths that he didn't even know were there, and falsehoods that he always saw as the truth. He reveals capacity to go to the gates of hell and to come back again for just a moment, rewarded by Shakespeare for just this moment. He's allowed to, to glimpse a new and beautiful appreciation of the mystery, the miracle of love before his eventual eclipse. Well, Marcus Gardley's Lear was commissioned as a contemporary translation of King Lear a number of years ago by the Ashland Play On Festival. Translation in this context involves far more than excising and replacing arcane expressions for contemporary audiences. Lear is a living, breathing encounter by a contemporary playwright with an emotional landscape 400 years on from Shakespeare's play, thousands of years and an ocean away from Shakespeare's chosen setting, 50 years antecedent to the lives we live today, and taking its own vital shape at the bronze with this group of actors, all but one of whom is black, on our outdoor beautiful bronze stage. What does forgiveness look like in Gardley's vision, underscored by Marcus Shelby's haunting jazz? How do the mysteries of the universe play out in this production? Reaching back through the arc of history, Leah asks us to understand ourselves more deeply, to acknowledge and explore our living contradictions as we search to see better and to be more truly seen. Our production is located in San Francisco's Fillmore District, known as the Western Edition, that is, west of the Civic Centre. Gardley's adaptation is set in the late 1960s, in the time of civil riots, the Black Panthers, the time of the Great Decay, initiated by the Mayor of San Francisco, who built a freeway through the Fillmore, wrecking the sense of community in this Harlem of the West. Gardley's Lear begins with the old king grieving at the recent death of his wife. Filled with sadness at her loss and hearing the knock of death at his own door, Lear sets up a scene by which to test his three daughters. How fulsomely and eloquently can each express her love for him? How fully is each prepared to support him and nurture him? Having banished the much-loved daughter who refuses to give him the verbal appreciation he craves, along with his close advisor, the Countess of Kent, who tries to get him to see his folly, he goes ahead and rashly divides his kingdom between his two older daughters and their husbands. Thus begins Lear's journey to come to understand and to come to terms with what I just mentioned before, the fact that a king is just a man. In Lear, the old king's wife comes back to haunt him, triggering his dementia. Wandering outside his older daughter's castles on a cold and stormy heath, he fight, fights against his new identity, which is no longer king, 
just in a sense to many in the kingdom, Mr. Lear, expecting and demanding still to be treated as royalty. His older daughters dismantle his robes of authority, separate him from his retinue and do everything in his power, in their power, to make him accept that his voice and his presence are no longer what they once were. Lear's journey is mirrored by that of his aged friend, the Earl of Gloucester. Where Lear's storm rages in the mind, Gloucester is physically dismantled, losing both of his eyes and coming to recognise that the physical entitlements of his past have blinded him to the internal truths that he should have been aware of. Well, dementia and senility eventually take hold of Lear and he runs into the eyeless Gloucester on the heath and together, each supported by a few loyal fellow rejects, Lear is supported by Kent and by a character called the Comic, Gloucester by his rejected son, Edgar. The two old men discover some essential truths about humanity, their own and that of other human beings. Both of them are eventually saved by their once rejected children and behind all of the pain and bewilderment stands the Black Queen, Leah's wife, whose presence throughout the play, often invisible to the naked eye, suggests that while death may leave an aching chasm. Love can live. Lear ultimately dies restored to the throne when his wife comes back to receive him, but he doesn't need the throne or this life anymore. And love remains. Welcome everybody to our closing show for our 2022 season. I can't wait to see you out at the theater and up in the grove. Thank <laughs> you.